Welcome to the Lift Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is the greatest lift in life. We are so glad you're here. And wherever you're listening from, we believe that God will give you a lift of encouragement through this message. Let's get into Fam Sunday. And uh, we're going to go back and forth today. Uh, but let me start it off with this idea from Nehemiah chapter 4. The book of Nehemiah, if you haven't read it, is in the middle of your Old Testament. It's in the middle of a time where God's people, um, many of you know the story that God uh, delivered his people through Exodus and Moses and, and they, they got their freedom back and, and then they said, we'll serve you always, we'll never go back and it only took them like a few weeks to go, never mind the food in Egypt was awesome and it was like, you didn't even have food in Egypt, you know, and, and, and so... Um, Men, humanity's fickle like that, but they make bold promises like us with King David will always serve you. And it wasn't long before they lost their way and started serving other idols like Baal and Dagon and all kinds of other different false idols. And they lost their way. And yeah, Dagon, yeah. Uh, and, um, and, and so um, they lost their way and they were lost again and they were exiled. Well, Nehemiah was one of the first people to inquire about the city of Israel and God's people. And he asked how it is, and he found out God's people are in shambles. Faith is in shambles. Uh, God's city is in shambles. And so his heart broke for Jerusalem, and he goes back, and he starts assessing what needs to be done to restore God's city and God's honor and God's people. And this is what it says in Nehemiah chapter 4. He looks at the gates surrounding the city, um, and, and he says this, then I looked over the situation and I called together Lift Church. This is where I'm going to make it personal, right? He called together the nobles and the rest of the people at the time, but I'm going to use it in today's language. I'm calling together Lift Church after assessing the city. And, I'm, and he said, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight, somebody say fight, fight for your brothers, for your sons, for your daughters, for your wives, why do you put in the wives last, I don't know about that, and your homes too, I see three things that he's declaring here, he's saying don't be afraid, don't be afraid of the times, don't be afraid of the situation, he's saying remember God in the midst of it, and fight for your families, and I think this is an imperative message in the season we live in. Guys, I don't think we realize just how big of an impact COVID had on the young generation. We know that it had a big impact on the adult generation, mental health, addictions, uh, marriages, and all that. But many of us could turn on any one of our favorite flavors of preachers and worship messages, and we could get ourselves through it. How many of y'all had a kid who was stuck to the television 100% of the time along with you? They weren't. They were everywhere else because it was so difficult on them. And then there were, in developmental times, no relationships, no meeting with one another, in isolation, thinking that these devices will suffice as social connection, right? And I don't think we understand falling behind in school and not thinking they're falling behind in school. Like falling behind in relationships, I don't think we realize the impact that it had on the next generation. 
And, and, and so we're going to have to assess it and, and fight for the next generation. I remember when we were having our first daughter, she told me it was a girl. And I was like, come on, praise the Lord, daddy girl. And uh, shout out to Nick and Jess, who are now daddy girls of three girls now. Come on, they had uh, some of our dream teamers, they had uh, uh, um, their twins this past week. And um, listen, um, I remember reading a book, Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters, and I thought, if we're going to have a girl, game on. And I read this book, and I've referenced it a time or two, and what I've learned from it is this, that a female, most importantly, will develop her self-worth by how much her parents are willing to fight for her. In other words, I will put up a fight with you, and I will back scratch, I will, I will attack back, I will talk back, but if you give up easily, then I realize I'm not of very much worth to you. I'm not of very high value to you. But if you'll fight for me, I will realize I am of infinite worth. And I, I think this, guys, that this generation, this next generation, no matter what kind of front they put up, wants us to fight for them. Come on. I was talking to a friend of mine last week, and she's on our dream team, and she's also a school administrator. And she was sitting in her office on a Zoom call, and one of her, one of the students at the school walks in and begins to throw up in the trash can while she's on a Zoom meeting call. She is so overwhelmed with her life and overwhelmed with what's happening in her family that all she knows how to do, her stomach is so upset that she just begins to throw up. That is common for some children in this generation. We have to admit somewhere something's not working, right? Like somewhere we're, we're failing something. I'm thankful for that dream teamer who has stepped up in that girl's life and said, I'm going to help fight for you and I'm going to help you win. And I love that. Isaiah 51.1 says, look to the rock from which you were cut and to the query from which you were dug. The Bible tells us to look to our mother and to our father. Some of us have learned behaviors from our mother and father that are not good behaviors. Some of us have learned good behaviors from our family, but some of this generation has, has raised up children that struggle and that have learned the wrong behaviors. But I want to tell you today, and I want to encourage you today, that let's together, let's lead this next generation to God, to the rock that matters most, to the Heavenly Father, yeah. to the only one that they need. Yeah. And we can do that together. So that's what we're here this morning to talk about, is some ways that you can get connected, that we can help this next generation. Yeah, because um, a lot of times, it, so, listen, we're not, we're not here to blame or cast condemnation on any sort of parent. A lot of parents um, maybe didn't learn it from their parents, okay? And so there's a trickle effect. But one thing we do know is that social media is not working. It, do you know, I've read books, that creators of social media sites will not let their own kids on their sites because they realize it turns into comparison traps, bullying, it turns into low self-esteem. It is not social connection. It is social disruption. It's social comparison. And this is, come on, many of us, or, or many of my age and older, right, we didn't grow up with a cell phone in our pocket. We didn't grow up, no how to necessarily write 
that is almost their first language. And so we got to think about the next generation that um, we've got to help them find the rock from which they were hewn. Whether it is their mother and father that, that they're having issues with and they're a great example and we connect them with them. But like my wife says, ultimately our heavenly father is for them, wants to connect with them, has purpose for them. And no matter what situation they are born into or find themselves in, there is hope. Can I get an amen? amen. And we've got to be ready and positioned to be that hope. Listen, listen, recently we did a survey, and we started asking some of our youth, um, fill in this blank. I wish my parents knew, okay? You might want to hold on to your seats a little bit because some of it's rattling. Some of these are your very own, our very own youth uh, because we did this with the help of Pastor JT. I wish my parents knew I desperately want to please them. I wish my parents knew I treasured their advice even when I seem to care less. I wish my parents knew that I hide a lot of fear behind my rebellion. I wish my parents knew I didn't need them to threaten to punish me. I needed them to actually do it. Oh, come on now. Where is that kid? I want to high five that kid. No. I wish my parents knew when I saw them fight all the time, it really messed me up. I wish my parents knew their words impact me more than any others. I wish my parents knew that I wish I could be open with them about my mistakes. I wish my parents knew how hard it is to stay pure. I wish my parents knew that I desperately want a parent who'd fight harder to be in my life. I wish my parents knew that when they didn't want to go to church, I prayed they would come with me. I wish my parents knew listening matters. These are some of our very own youth on a Wednesday night filling out a, a survey. So. so let's talk about six ways to fight for the, the next generation. I'd love it if you'd write this down because it's key points that we've thought about, that we've prayed about. And number one is listening matters. We need to listen more than we need to fix them. So we've been in, in youth ministry. We were in youth ministry for over 10 years. I was in daycare. I have an associate's degree in early childhood education. And we're raising a teenager. And we have two young younger girls. And I say all of that to say that I have learned through even listening to podcasts and sermons that listening matters first. Before they will ever hear you, they want you to listen. We have to be a safe haven for our children, for the next generation. We have to allow them to express their concerns, express their fears, and then eventually we can say, oh, here, did you think about this? And then the next time that you're listening, you can add a little more to what you've said. Because if we just keep adding on, eventually they really do want to hear you, and eventually they're going to you so that you can speak into their life. We have to have a relationship with them so that they can share their struggles so that we can help coach them through it. Um, Pastor Drew was given those examples. There was another example, and it said, I wish my parents knew that I've cut myself for a long time. That child is in our youth ministry. That student is in our youth ministry. It's one of our children. 
who feel like they want to tell their parents something. And I would ask you today, have a moment with your child. Sit down. Have a moment. Take a, take a moment of your busy day because we're all busy all the time. But if you just take a moment and you just listen and you don't judge them for what they are telling you, but you just hear their heart and you listen, they will open up to you. That leads us into our next point, number two. Keep convictions on what you consume. The entertainment industry has lost its morals. If you look around, you can hardly watch anything that's out on TV right now, out on TV shows right now. Even if you're streaming something, you're getting bombarded with nasty commercials. I mean, we have one show we watch, and we're constantly muting it and looking away because it is so disturbing. The commercial's not the show. Correct. Though we do have to fast forward to various shows at different times. If we get into a movie and we're like, oh, come on, you know, uh, is your fast forward button working? <laughs> it, yes, it has to be. Um, we are the gatekeepers to our children's eyes and to what they consume. Whether they think that you are or not, you are. And so you have to put yourself in the place that I am the gatekeeper to what comes into our house, to what comes into our children's phones. Um, Hosea 7, 2 through 3 says, Their sinful deeds are all around them, and I see them all. The people entertain the king with their wickedness. Just because our land produces it doesn't mean that we can consume it, right? It's going to produce all of these things, but that doesn't mean that it is okay for us to consume it. Matthew 6, 22 through 23 says, When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. We as parents sometimes think our kids can handle anything. We sit and we have conversation after conversation and we're realizing, we're not realizing that our child is sitting there listening to every single thing you say. As pastors, we hear a lot that comes into us that needs prayer, that people are struggling with. And so if we're talking about it, we have to be very careful that our children are not listening. Sometimes Gianna, our youngest, will come in and she's like, well, that happened to me. And I'm like, no, baby. You're fine. That's not going to happen to you. So they are always listening, even when they could be in the other room playing. They hear things that we need to protect them from, and they shouldn't consume every show that we watch. We watch shows that are more mature, not in a nasty way, but in a more mature way that our young kids can't watch yet. One day they'll be able to watch it, but not right now. Our generation, our children are overwhelmed and they don't know how to process it. That young girl that went into our Dream Teamers class or office, she didn't know how to process what she was going through. So they began to cut themselves. They began to have suicidal thoughts. They began to turn to this guy or to this girl or to this guy or to this girl and they just get overrun. And I would like to encourage you, let's keep our convictions on what they consume. Let's watch what they're consuming. You know, to, to piggyback on that, that you are the gatekeeper. And this doesn't just apply to parents, guys. This applies to grandparents. This applies to anyone who's a youth worker, anyone who's a teacher. Um, uh, you know, this applies to anyone who's around young people. And we got to remember this. I, I, I learned this recently, that um, 20 years ago, the, the gatekeepers of morality were the people who were putting on the programming. 
And so they would actually think, no, we can't show this. No, we can't say that on air. No, we can't anymore. Most of those gatekeepers are gone, and social media obliterated gatekeepers. Because now I can just go ahead and, and video a fight in school, and there is no gatekeeper to take that down, or at least for a little while now. And so you have to be the gatekeeper, and we got to be aware that um, the gatekeepers of our society are no longer standing post. And so parents can't be negligent in this or, or, or naive in this. Number three, um, I get this uh, statement from Terrence on our, our lead team and our staff. Uh, choose your hard. I like this statement. Choose your hard. Um, he said it better than me because um, uh, choose your heart is, a, in other words, is saying a lot of things in life are hard. And Pastor Aaron was sharing this as well. Like we can say that it's hard to be financially disciplined. But it's also hard to be poor, so choose your heart. It's hard to um, stay fit, but it's also hard on your body to be overweight. So, like, choose your heart. Which heart? It's hard to raise up good kids, but it's also hard to be around bad kids. So, like, choose your heart. And if we don't choose our heart in the developmental stage, it'll be hard to be around them in the adult stage. My pastor used to always teach me that the goal in parenting is that I want to be around them when they're adults. Like when they say, hey, mom and dad, we're coming over. We're not like, oh, dear Jesus, let's get on our knees and pray. <laughs> Instead, we're like, come on over. Come on, the house is wide open. That's the goal. And if that's the goal for you, then you can't um, be negligent on the heart. No one said, including the Bible, parenting's easy. Yet kids don't just come out the womb knowing how to forgive one another, knowing how to apologize, knowing how to be kind to one another, knowing how to share. Anybody met a kid who likes to share, right? We have to choose our heart and lean into that and teach that patiently. It is hard work, but it's the greatest work. And so you have to parent to greatness. Proverbs 6 is a little harsh, so hold on to your seat. But it's speaking to me too, and it says this, um, Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no ruler to make them work, they labor all summer gathering food for the winter. In other words, laboring hard in the parenting season means payoff in the next season. Can I get an amen? Laboring hard in the parenting season means payoff in the next season. But if you don't labor hard, if you, if you become their friends with them too early, then you might not want to be friends with them as adults. Uh, James Dobson once said, God has installed parents as leaders for a finite period of time. If you as mom or dad won't be the boss, I guarantee that your kid will grab that role. And that is the beginning of sorrows for both generations. And I think that's powerful. In fact, we've learned about the four seasons of parenting. I learned this before I had kids, before I even knew my wife, and it has blessed me. So even if you're single, take a picture of this picture right now because I believe that this picture will bless you. There are four seasons of parenting, and I just sketched them real quick, and I'll describe it real quick. Um, the years one through five are the discipline years. That's when parenting is really high and friendships low.
you're probably not going to sit after a long day and have a long-winded discussion about how was your day because they'll just say pickles or something. You, you know, they'll just, they, they don't have a very long. And, and also, try being their friends when you say it's bedtime and they start, ah, come on. That's when parenting needs to be high and friendship is not necessarily the goal. Then you move into the training years, 5 to 12 years old. That's when parenting is still kind of high, but you're also growing in friendship with them. Still, you are making most of the decisions and you have to train them. Then you move into the 12 to 18 years old where there's coaching. You shouldn't be um, parenting as much as this stage if you've done the work through 12. This is all generic, so you have to apply it to your kid. But you don't want to be the, uh, uh, the, 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 what do you call it, helicopter mom at this point because hopefully you've instilled good values and you've helped them make decisions by principles. And so now you get to be a bit more friends, but you are coaching them through difficult times in school, difficult times with their people. And then finally, 18 plus is the friendship zone. Don't try to fast forward that to when they're five or once again, you they might go off to college and they realize I was not equipped for this. They might enter the career and their faith is gone because I, I know I've got a friend, but I don't really have values, principles, or um, solid rocks to stand upon, okay? And so I know so many of y'all are doing this well, but this blessed me to hear the four parenting uh, seasons. Do the hard work now so you don't have to do the hard work later. Amen? Amen. Number four, go to church. Oh, come on now. Judges 2.10 says, after that whole generation, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done. That's scary. Um, a couple weeks ago, there was a Facebook post going around, and I want to um, read that to you. So if you guys could check out the screen. I heard someone say a few days ago, see, that just goes to show you that you can raise your kids in church all you want to, but it shattered my heart all because that kid had made a mistake. Let me tell you, we don't raise our kids in church so they can grow up perfect or because it magically makes them unable to sin or holier than thou. We do, however, raise our kids in church so that when they mess up and when they fall short, they know just who to run to. So they know that their Lord and Savior will never leave nor forsake them. So they know their Heavenly Father will always leave the 99 if they are that one that needs saving. So they will know what grace is like and give it out freely. So they will know the unconditional love of their Father and love those around them just the same regardless of anything else. So they know that there is absolutely nothing in this world they could do that our Savior's blood hasn't already covered. I will never apologize for raising my children in church nor for making sure our family makes church a priority because it's more than just a song and a sermon. It's for when this cruel world we live in comes knocking on their door, they personally know the solid rock on which they stand, that there is nothing too dirty that he can't make worthy. That there is nothing too dirty that he can't make worthy. So if your kids are in sports or if they're in dance or if they're into art, whatever that is, if they begin to miss two or three times a month of going to practice when they're supposed to be at practice, they will eventually not know how to play the sport or how to paint the picture or how to ride the horse because they've missed so many. They won't know the commands that the coach is giving them. They won't know where to stand, and eventually they'll be put on the sideline where they don't play at all. So, 
I would wonder what would happen if you began to miss two or three Sundays a month. What would happen spiritually to your child? What, what foundation do they have to stand on if we miss so many opportunities to bring them to a place where they can learn and they can find hope and they can have ideas of what to do when something does happen. That leads us to our next point, number five, being consistent. When we got pregnant with our first child, we asked my parents, we said, what was one of the biggest things that you learned as a parent that you could tell us? And they said to be consistent. Being consistent isn't always easy. It's actually hard oftentimes because I don't want you to have that snack, but I don't feel like fighting anymore. Or I want you to, to clean your room, but I don't feel like hearing you cry anymore. But if we learn to be consistent, then they know that we're always going to be consistent. So we can always be that person that they can come to and they can trust. Um, I would encourage you that being consistent going to church, being consistent if you're a teacher in the classroom, if you're mentoring someone, being consistent in that mentoring of them, being consistent in, in being a youth leader. If you're a youth leader, being consistent in how you lead them and how you help them and guide them. I think uh, one of the things that we're saying is this season is not for them to like you today this season it's for you to like them tomorrow and, and, and so that's why consistency matters that's why we lean in when we're fatigued I, I think that's such a great way of saying it and we should have said this at the beginning we're not experts we're just learning we read the expert who is the father of all humanity God we read his word and we are students still of people who have great kids if, if I if I know you um, uh, if I watch your kids and they're just a blessing and, and they're doing it right I'm often leaning in and just asking questions and so these are where we've tried to glean as much and here's the last one for the today for today number six is get in the fight Get in the fight. Don't leave your kids in the ring unprotected. Um, JT uh, started getting, he got a tattoo or something, and he's got this joke that he's going to, we're going to get tattoos together. And, he, and I don't have one at this moment. I have nothing against them. I just don't know what I want to burn on my body forever, you know, and I'm picky. I'm picky, okay? And uh, he's like, we're going to get a golf club together. I'm like, JT, that will never happen. It's not because I don't love you. I just don't love golf that much <laughs> for that to be my first tattoo. But if I did have one, it would probably be First Timothy 6.12. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to it. Cling to it for which your father has called you to it. In other words, you are called to brawl. You are in a ring and the fight is on whether you knew that the bell was rung or not. And what we can't do is leave our kids in the ring unprotected because I don't feel like fighting or I think they're strong enough to handle this one. Guys, I mean no demise to young people, but let's be real. Sometimes we're asking them to take on fights that they are 
overmatched. It's much too much for them. They can't handle that kind of fight yet. That's what God gave you to them as parents or overseers or teachers at the perfect or the perfect person who is called for such a time as this. When they walk into your classroom and you realize no one's fighting for them, you realize God put you there for such a time as this. When they come into your after school program, when they end up your friend's best friend and they're wanting to eat all your food and you're wondering how are you putting a dent in our pantry and a dent in my checkbook you got to understand for such a time as this I've got to fight for these kids I've got to fight for this generation because this generation's beating them up and listen this might not be popular but my heart goes out for especially as we start talking about transitioning and we start talking about kids transitioning at a young age guys our our the mental brain is not developed well enough to drive a car until you're 16 years old. And still some of us are like, that's too early. <laughs> the mental brain is not strong enough to realize the, the gravity of how much alcohol to consume until you're 18 years old. And look at our collegiate systems and our young adults. Most of us can't figure it out very well at that point. These are not as heavy as figuring out my identity and whether I should transition or not. And so I understand young people maybe feeling like they don't fit in or maybe they identify differently. But what I don't understand is adult generation just going, you're capable of making that decision. That our almighty maker who's been on the throne long before I was ever born and will continue to be on the throne long after you and I have passed away doesn't know as much as we know, actually doesn't know as much as you, seven-year-old, knows about yourself. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He created all of humanity. All of it was created perfectly for him and by him. And so we got to seek him. And even in our confusion, we've got to trust him. Guys, sometimes I wonder some of these fights that we leave our young people out. No wonder anxiety is so high. No wonder isolation so high. No wonder depression so high. No wonder divorce is so high. Because if we're so confused personally, and we haven't been taught how to find the rock from which we're hewn, go back to the ancient ways and study His ways and His paths. And when we teach those things, we start to learn that even though my emotions might be here, I am going to stand on something solid. Right? Because aren't we going to need that if we lose somebody dear to us in life? And aren't we going to need that if we lose a job? And aren't we going to need that if we get uh, broken up with? And aren't we going to need that instead of just going, I'm just going to chase how I feel today? And so, you know, for a long time we advocated, don't let your young people date until they're ready for marriage. Why? Because a lot of 15-year-olds get in the ring, the devil puts boxing gloves on them, and they don't even know they're in for a fight. They just think, this is fun. <laughs> this is fun. And as parents, we got to actually go, there's a fight going on, and the enemy is taking shots at them. And listen, 
You've got to decide what's best for your kid. This is not a, a blanket statement. What I am saying is figure out which fights they're capable of. I have learned from some of you dream teamers some of the brilliant things you've done to fight over your broadband access, and you'll just turn off certain things when things are wrong. You fight over your kids' settings on the TV settings, or you fight over there's no cell phones at the dinner table. Whatever the fight is, don't give up the fight. Get into the fight. We started with Nehemiah that said, I assess the land. It wasn't perfect. There was work to be done. But do not fear, trust in God, and fight for your families. Can I get an amen? Come on. So my wife is just so good in this area. And so I'm going to ask you, if you would, would you please pray over parents, next generation, teachers, youth workers, counselors. Would you just cover that in prayer before we close? Father, we ask today, God, that you would break our hearts for what brings joy to you. Break our hearts for this generation. Break our hearts for the for what they go through, for what they encounter, for their feelings. God, let us not overlook their feelings because they are real, they are true. God, I pray that as we have heard six points out of so many things that we could have shared. But God, I just pray today that you would help us to set this firm foundation for ourselves as leaders, as adults, as parents, so that we can lead, so that we can guide, so that we can direct. God, I pray for every teacher that is in the school system, every administrator, God, that their job is not always easy. It's not always beautiful. It's oftentimes a struggle and it's oftentimes ugly because they see so many things. But God, I just pray, Lord, that you would light a fire within them, God, that something that would burn with passion for these children, God, that they would love them like their own. Father, that they would see beyond just the child and know that this is a learned behavior. This isn't just something they taught themselves. This is something they had to do to cope with the situation that they are in. God, I just pray for the parents of our next generation. God, that you would lift their heads. God, that even though they're in the middle of a fight, God, that they are not fighting alone. And they oftentimes are not fighting against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spiritual darkness. And Father, we God, we just come up and we, God, we link arms as a church and we say that we are gonna fight and we are gonna fight to win. God, that you would be the encourager in this place, the lifter of our heads. And Father, every student, God, every youth, every person that has listened to this message, God, that you would lift them up and know that they are not alone and know that we want to come beside them and that they can just reach out and they can find us. God, we love you and we, we thank you, Lord, for who you are and that you carry us and that you are a rock and that you are our firm foundation. In Jesus' name. And before we finish praying, with every head bowed, every eye closed, whether you're in person or online, I want to give you an opportunity 
to join the family of God today. Uh, God is not a mystical deity upstairs who's angry and we always have to perform for him or lightning bolts will come out of the sky. God is constantly described as a familial God, a family God, a, a father, an Abba Father, a daddy. And, and in the book of Exodus, he says, I will take you as my own people. In the book of Hosea, he says, I will take you as my bride. In other words, he wants to have an intimate family relationship with you. And the thing that gets in the way is sin, which oftentimes makes us feel too dirty to have that relationship. And you know what? Those emotions and those gut feelings are right. We got to take care of sin to enter into his family. But we are not strong enough to do that on our own. That's why Jesus, the Son of God, came down to live like one of us. And he died on the cross so that all of our sins will be washed away if you put your faith in him as the Son of God. And as the forgiver of your sins, the Bible says then you are no longer slaves, but you are inherited as sons and daughters of God Most High. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm not going to call you forward or embarrass you. But whether you're in person or online, I don't want you to be embarrassed to say, God, I'm giving you my life today. Whether it's for the first time or I'm coming back to him. If you're in this place, would you raise your hand up high? No one's looking around. Just, just so I know who I'm praying for today. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I see you. Yes, yes. If you're online and you know that the Holy Spirit's tugging on your heart, don't ignore that. God's inviting you into his family today. And I would love it if you would let us know by writing in the chat. I'm in too because we want to pray with you and connect with you so that you don't do this alone. Come on, I'm so excited for many people making the decision today. Let's all pray together, especially those making this decision. And let's pray. Repeat after me. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. I don't know why you'd want it because I am a sinner and I have messed up. But you're still in love with me. Your word says that Jesus is the son of God. And I believe it. And that he died on the cross to pay for my sins. And I believe it. That means I am forgiven when I ask you to forgive me. I am now a new person because of what you have done. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for a new start. I give you my life, and I want you to help me honor you and live for you all my days. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, amen. And